Did you know that the first public library in the United States was founded in 1698 in Charlestown, South Carolina? It was founded by the Dr. Reverend Bray of the Episcopal Church. Welcome to the Lore of the South. Hey y'all, welcome back to Lore of the South with me, your host Kelly Cruz. We're in month two of 2021 and it's already been a wild year. I hope all of you are safe and staying healthy. For this episode, I wanted to honor Black History Month and chose to tell y'all the amazing story of Robert Smalls. This man is a true legend and why there hasn't been a movie made about him is beyond me. So settle back because we're headed down to coastal South Carolina where our story begins in the late antebellum period, just a hair's breadth before the Civil War. Robert Smalls was born April 5, 1839, in a small cabin behind the big house of Mr. Henry McKee in Beaufort, South Carolina. His mother was an enslaved woman by the name of Lydia Polite. It had been long speculated that Smalls' owner was also his father. Robert and his mother were both house slaves. Robert was raised along the McKee children, though he was excluded from their schoolwork. During this time in the southern U.S., it was considered dangerous to educate one's slaves. You know, education might make someone ask questions or get ideas. Robert's mother, Lydia, worried that her son was living too soft of a life growing up amongst the McKee children and feared that he would become too accepting of his lot in the world. Around the age of eight or so, at her request, young Smalls was sent out to the McKees' fields so that he could experience firsthand what his fellow enslaved people toiled in. She at one point even brought him to a whipping so that there would be no doubt in his mind that the white planter society firmly had a boot planted on all slaves' necks, no matter how free he felt while running along the river banks with the master's children. Her lessons worked to instill a defiance in Robert that wasn't appreciated by too many of the white men that young Smalls would come into contact with. He, in fact, found himself in Beaufort jails on a few occasions, always to be bailed out by Henry McKee. In 1851, when Robert was around the age of 12, Lydia made another request of McKee for her son to be found a place in Charleston so that he might learn a trade. Robert's learning a trade would hopefully save him from the shortened life expectancy that filled hands faced. If a field hand didn't die from the sheer brutality of the foreman or the overseer, then surely the swarms of mosquitoes he faced would. A trade might even save Robert from the vengeance of an offended white man. McKee secured young Robert a post at a Charleston hotel. All of Robert's wages were sent back to Beaufort for McKee. Smalls was only allowed to keep $1 a week from his earnings. Robert, being the ambitious sort, then took up the position of lamplighter in the evenings. As he grew into his teens, he found work along the docks, and eventually aboard the steamships that were in port. He did such jobs as longshoreman, sailmaker, and rigger. All this time spent on boats in the harbor proved to be some of the best on-the-job education anyone could hope for, because no one knew the Charleston Harbor better than Robert Smalls. This is where he began working on the steamship The Planter. If he'd been a white man, he would have been called a helmsman. But slaves, or freed blacks for that matter, were not permitted that title. They were known as wheelmen. Robert was a person who was trusted to steer the ship through the ever-changing waters of Charleston Harbor, but wasn't granted the same rank or title as his white peers. 
At age 17, Robert asked the owners of hotel maid Hannah Jones for permission to wed. Smalls would have also been required to ask McKee for his permission as well. They were not free people allowed to marry whom they wanted. This would have been a transaction of sorts between the owners of these two human beings. If Hannah were to have any children of Robert's, they would belong to her master, and he would do what he wanted with all of Smalls' children. The couple were given permission, and they were wed on Christmas Eve, 1856. Hannah had two daughters prior to meeting Smalls, and they were joined by a sister in 1858. Robert endeavored to purchase his wife and their children from her owner. The owner laid out a price of $800, which in today's money would equate to about $22,764. Smalls was able to put down a $100 down payment. Can you even imagine this? Can you imagine having to buy your family from somebody? It is just, it's awful. It would have taken decades for Robert to be able to buy his own family. His son joined the family in 1861, and by this point, the country was in tatters. The South refused to give up its old ways, and the first shots of the Civil War were fired across Charleston Harbor at the U.S. Fort Sumter. Robert's steamship, the Planter, became the CSS Planter and was outfitted with light weapons and had such duties as troop transport, delivering supplies, and carrying dispatches up and down the coast. Smalls piloted the vessel along the coastal waterways and rivers of South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Smalls kept an air of contentment about him. His captain and shipmates all thought that their black wheelman was the picture of happiness and proud to be doing his part for the land of his birth. When in fact, Robert Smalls had began plotting he and his family's escape, aided by his fellow slaves and the planter herself. May 12, 1862. The planter sets off on a short mission just 10 miles south of Charleston, where they pick up a load of four large guns, 200 pounds of ammunition, and 200 cords of firewood from a Confederate fort that was being dismantled. All of these supplies were bound for another fort in the Charleston Harbor. That evening, the planter was back in its berth below the window of General Ripley and secured for the night. Before the captain disembarked, Smalls asked permission to bring his family and fellow black shipmates' families aboard for a visit. The captain approved just as long as all the visitors had departed before curfew. The captain and his two fellow officers then departed, leaving Smalls and his co-conspirators alone on the ship. Robert and the crew went to their homes and gathered their families. Robert's wife, Hannah, was shocked at Robert's announcement of their escape. She shook off her distress and was quoted as saying, It is a risk, dear, but you and I and our little ones must be free. I will go, for where you die, I will die. The other women in the escape party weren't quite as stoic as Hannah and screamed and wailed in protest, all out of fear, some of whom had to be gagged. Later in the evening, three of the planners' crew pretended to escort the family members back home, only to double back and hide the party of wives and children on another steamer at a nearby wharf. Near 2 a.m. on May 13th, Smalls and seven of his eight crewmen shoved off from the dock, made their way to the north wharf where they gathered their families and brought them aboard the planter. 
they raised both the South Carolina and the Confederate flags. Robert then donned the captain's uniform and a white straw hat. He proved to be quite the actor and had all the captain's mannerisms down pat, from the way he stood on the rolling deck to the smallest of hand gestures. The ship then headed out into the harbor. As they neared the first checkpoint, Small flashes the appropriate signals, waves to the men on guard, and then is given the signal to continue on his journey. The planter does this four more times without incident, but now they are nearing the largest and most harrowing of obstacles, Fort Sumter itself. Approximately 4.30 a.m., the planter nears Fort Sumter. Some of the women begin crying and praying aloud. Some of Robert's crew try to advise him to take a wide berth of the fort, but Robert knows that keeping a wide berth would only appear suspicious. Then the men on guard duty at the fort flashed warning signals at the planner. Robert responded appropriately. There was a long pause. And y'all know, I mean, like, that man had been shaking in his boots and holding his breath, but he kept a calm and cool head. Would it be cannon fire or the all clear? The women's prayers were answered. Fort Sumter gave the planter the all clear and the ship sailed out of Charleston Harbor. Once out of gun range, Robert had the United States blockade ships in sight. He ordered the lowering of the South Carolina and Confederate flags. His wife, Hannah, then produced a white bedsheet to be raised in their place. Smalls and crew were going to surrender to the Union and free themselves. Aboard the USS Onward, they were preparing to fire on the steamer that was making quick progress towards them from the direction of the enemy. Just as the broadside guns were being raised and readied, the sun rose just enough on the horizon for one of the Onward sailors to make out the white flag flapping above the vessel. He yelled to draw attention of the captain and the Onward stood down. As the planter came closer, the reason for their surrender became obvious. It was a ship crewed by escaped slaves. Some of the planter's crew were seen to be dancing in celebration. Some were singing, their happiness so boundless, while others stood facing Fort Sumter and cursing her. As the planter drew within shouting distance, Robert Small steps forward, removes his hat, and yells up to Lieutenant Nichols, Good morning, sir. I have brought you some of the old United States guns, sir. The lieutenant boards the planter, and he and Smalls raise the U.S. flag over the former Confederate gunboat. Smalls was able to pass along vital information to the Union. He informed them of the layout of armaments around the harbor and gave approximations of how many troops were still in the area. He also handed over the captain's codebook that contained Confederate signals. The planter also held maps that divulged the layout of mines and torpedoes that had been placed throughout Charleston Harbor. Robert's intelligence allowed the Union Navy to capture outlaying islands and control the Stono Inlet for the remaining three years of the war. Robert's story spread quickly, and at the age of 23, he became a hero of the North. Congress passed a bill that awarded Smalls and his crew the prize money for capturing the planter. Smalls was paid $1,500 for his share, which would be worth around $38,415 today. It's wild to think in such a short time span he went from a slave, worrying how he could ever afford to buy his family from a master who could potentially sell them all away from him. He had freed himself 
in at least eight other families and had become a national treasure all in one year's time. Robert Smalls went on to serve in both the Army Infantry and the Navy. It was in part because of Smalls that the blacks were allowed to serve in the U.S. military. He and a Reverend Mansfield French both petitioned President Lincoln and the Secretary of War Stanton for them to open up enlistments for colored troops. Robert would pilot several vessels during the war and was now in charge of removing the mines from the waterways that he had once been tasked with laying. On December 1, 1863, he was back to piloting the planter when it came under fire. The captain fled in terror and hid in a coal bunker. Smalls then took over and made a heroic escape. He refused to surrender to the Confederates, knowing full well that he and other black crew members would more than likely be killed. For his actions, it was reported that he was given a wartime commission of captain. In the spring of 1864, Smalls brought the planter into Philadelphia for an overhaul. While there, he worked for a project called the Port Royal Experiment. Port Royal was a city on the island where Robert was born and raised. Just a side note there, just in case I hadn't mentioned it before. It was a group that was raising money to educate ex-slaves. Robert himself benefited from his work with the Port Royal Experiment. He was taught to read and write while fundraising for them. His time in Philadelphia did not pass without incident, though. A story quickly made its way through the city that Robert had been humiliated while on a city streetcar. He had been seated in the car when a white passenger approached him and demanded to be given the seat. The conductor asked Smalls to move to the outer platform and stand in the elements. Instead of doing as these two white men demanded, he disembarked and made his way on foot. It was because of this incident of humiliating a war hero that in a couple of years' time, Pennsylvania passed legislation that integrated its public transportation system. December 1864, Robert Smalls pilots the planter southward to Savannah to aid General Sherman. Four months later, he and the planter have returned to Charleston Harbor, where it all began. Smalls was there, the first shots of the Civil War, and he had returned to see the flag of the United States once again raised above Fort Sumter. Smalls and his family returned to Beaufort and found that the old McKee house was up for auction. Can y'all guess what happens next? This is one of my very favorite parts of this story. Yeah, he bought his former master's mansion. If that doesn't put a grin on your face, I do not know what will. Robert and his family became one of the most prominent black families on the island. He invested in several black-owned businesses. One was a store for freedmen, one was a black-owned newspaper, and he also was a lead investor in a cargo transport company. Smalls also started several black schools through coastal South Carolina. In 1868, Smalls entered the political ring, first on the state level, and then later he was nominated to the U.S. House of Representatives, where he served two terms. Hannah passed away on July 28, 1883, after 27 years of marriage. Robert went on to marry a Charleston schoolteacher named Annie Wig on April 9, 1890. They had one son together. Robert Smalls himself passed away on February 23, 1915, at the age of 75. His cause of death was listed due to diabetes and malaria. You can visit his grave at the churchyard of the Tabernacle Baptist Church in downtown Beaufort. In the churchyard, you will find a monument to him. 
and on that monument is the following quote, My race needs no special defense, for the past history of them in this country proves them equal to any people anywhere. All they need is an equal chance in the battle of life. And if that is not the truth, that's all anyone needs in this world is an equal chance. And that was the exciting and inspiring story of American hero, Robert Smalls. I'm gonna add a couple of side notes here that I wasn't able to fit in in just the regular body of the story. But after Robert and Hannah bought his former owner's home, they allowed the widow to move in with them. It was stated by multiple sources that she treated them like servants in their own home. She would not dine with them. But the, the Smalls family were so accommodating towards this woman that they actually had different dinner times. Like, she would be served at 6 o'clock and the Smalls would eat at 8 o'clock just so that she did not have to interact with them on a personal level. I don't think that it could be said that this family had, could they could not have had bigger hearts. I mean, to be so forgiving and caring that they took this woman in who had once owned them owned him anyway i digress they were good people um y'all can still see small's house today um, in beaufort south carolina i don't believe that it's open for tours but you can do a little walk by and see it from the outside just google the robert small's house and i want to thank y'all for joining us for this special black history month episode hope y'all enjoyed it um, if you did, please like us and review it. Hit those five stars. Share Laura of the South with a friend or two, maybe. Follow us on social media. Just search Laura of the South. We've got a couple of different Facebook pages going. Um, I always post pictures to go along with each story, which I think most people find interesting. Okay, and if you have a story you would like to share, please email it to me at lauraofthesouth at gmail.com. And we will talk to y'all later on Lore of the South. Bye, y'all.